This is a recording made in the chapter of the open book and is number seven of the series Accepted and Accessed, Made Neat, taken from Colossians chapter one, verses twelve down to twenty-two. And the particular subject before us this morning is the word reconciliation, which we find in this passage. Let us just read, shall we, from verse 12, till we get to the passage which speaks of reconciliation, so that we shall have the scriptural introduction. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, I just stopped at one or two points, this word meet is to measure. He has made us measure up to whatever the requirements are for access into his holy presence in glory. I don't think any of us would ever dare to think we could make ourselves accepted. Uh, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. What a person he is. Now look. He is the head of the body of the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He died. That in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in heaven or things on earth, uh, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Those words are so wonderful that it seems almost too good to be true, doesn't it? That that could be true of anyone in this chapel or anywhere else. Now we have reached the passage which speaks about reconciliation. And you will notice that it says in verse 20, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Well, why should reconciliation be necessary then? If peace has been made. Let me remind you of the figure that was uh, found in the Old Testament where the word shalom, meaning peace, was used when a man paid ox for ox because of the damage done. He paid ox for ox and that established peace. But whether they were reconciled to one another was another step, wasn't it? Don't you see, reconciliation is now putting out the hand and grasping the other one's hand, the one who was once alienated in enemies, coming forward. Scripture says two things. He hath made us nigh 
But it also says, let us draw near. We are not pieces on a chessboard. We are those who have some element of personal responsibility. So now we are facing the consequence of this peace that has been made by such a price, and paid at such a price. Peace through the blood of his cross, and then the consequence, reconciliation. In the passage which our brother read, God says he sends ambassadors. God himself is sending the ambassadors to you and to me and saying, Be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's God beseeching you, friends. Isn't that wonderful? Instead of you beseeching him to make reconciliation possible, he has made the peace through that infinite price. And then he says, be ye reconciled to God. So surely we should give this word reconciliation a consideration and get to know something of its basic teaching. From one point of view, we have had this before. But as long as time lasts, we shall have to have it again and again. For this is one of the wonders of his redeeming love concentrated in one word. Those of you who have the little analysis in front of you will notice that we've given the four different words that are to be kept in mind if you have any ability to use either the Greek New Testament or to turn up uh, such a concordance as Young's. It is a lasso. And at the foot of the um, card you will see that some uh, lexicons and some concordances spell it alato. Uh, that was just a change that the Greeks made themselves, for which I can't explain. Alasso. Then there's catalasso. There's catalagi. And there's apocatalasso. Now they're all words based upon the word that means to change. So, first of all, let us notice this word change as we've got it in one, in Acts 6.14. To give us a start. The basis of reconciliation is a change has been made. And what a change. A change from enmity to acceptance. A change from condemnation to being accepted in the beloved. And so we have in the sixth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles these words. It's the charge laid against Stephen. They set up false witnesses and said, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And they were drastic friends. When you think of what the Jews themselves said and did, when our Saviour healed a man on the Sabbath day, they plotted his life to take his life from him. So this was a, a radical change that they accused Stephen of introducing. And so reconciliation is a radical change. We pass from death unto life, from enmity to acceptance. And don't let us minimise it, a change. And then by getting the same word again once more before us in 1 Corinthians 15, as you know, speaking of the resurrection. 
it says 1 Corinthians 15, 51 Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. There's not one of us, however much advance we've made in scriptural things or spiritual life, that are fit for glory. We shall all be changed. This is all implied in this word reconciliation, because it means an absolute change. You have passed from death unto life. You have been delivered from darkness to light. The alienation has been cancelled and you are now made nigh. Oh, what a change. Let's take the next word as it's built up. Catalasso. Cata sometimes has the force of being down. By itself it may mean according to, but in combination it sometimes means just an emphatic. This is emphatically a change. Not just an odd change, but a most drastic foundational one. Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 10, will show you how basic it is. Romans 5, verse 10. He says in verse, um, or earlier, verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one, dare, will one die, yet for adventure for a good man, some would even dare to die, but God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we are saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we should be saved by his life. And then verse 11 disguises the fact that the word reconciliation occurs again. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Now, a person may feel that that's very, very wrong. The atonement was never received by us. The atonement was an offering made to God on our behalf and we received the benefits of it. But that is true if this word atonement refers to the sacrifice of Christ. But you mustn't forget, friends, when you're reading the authorised version that it's about, what, 300 years back and the language has changed a little in its progress or if, it's, if it is progress. And there used to be a common use of the a verb to at one anybody. We don't use it today. You'll find it in Shakespeare about four different times. One character says, I go to make atonement between his brother and the Duke of Gloucester. Well, he wasn't going to offer a sacrifice. He was going to bring them to at oneness. So this word atonement in verse 11 is this word catalagi. 
It's the same word in another verbal form as katanatho. So we are reconciled to God and we receive the reconciliation. And that is the word at one And then, of course, the word is transferred to the great work of Christ on our behalf when he, the just one, for the unjust died, that we may be made at one. There was a barrier which we could never pass. He made it. I am the way, he said. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And that must be stressed continuously. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which we had read just now by our brother as a part of our reading lesson. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 19 and 20. To wit, this is going, of course, connected with what is already said. Um, supposing, we, supposing we go back to verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, there is, or he is, a new creature, or there is a new creation. This is not something that's a patch. This is something which is a new creation. All things are passed away. But our version says, Behold, all things are become new. And lest it should lead in your mind that the old things have been renewed, notice that the actual wording of it is, Old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come into being. There's no patch-up. The poor old body and the poor old sinner can never be patched up. He must be recreated. And that is a part of the reconciliation. New things have come into being, and these things, very often when you have all things, it refers to that which has just gone before. And these things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself. We did not reconcile ourselves to God, he reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. But what he has done is to give us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the gracious part of God. He has entrusted this to you and to me. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling a world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So the gospel we preach, the scriptures we study, are given this title, the word of reconciliation. And if this word can never be used, we are almost miserable, for we are still far off, and there's no possibility of being made near. But now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Are we? Yes, he says so. This is not merely apostles only. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. Fancy God doing the beseeching. He's beseeching us to be reconciled to God. So God stoops to gather his wayward, wandering, disobedient children back to himself. 
Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For ye have made him to be sin, and the word often stands for a sin offering for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so we have this word, katalasso, when we were enemies, we were reconciled. I've already referred to the word in Romans 5.11, and we've just covered it again in chapter in 2 Corinthians 5.18 and 19. Well now, when we pass the barrier of Acts 28, we often find changes in almost familiar words. It takes on a fuller aspect. When you come to the ministry of Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, and the dispensation of the mystery, even such basic expressions as reconciliation take on a fuller, a richer aspect. This says, apo, tata, lasso. Now it may be very, very difficult to divide this word up and make it speak as though we were Greek-speaking people. But the thought seems to me to be emphasising the relationship between the two parties. The one over against the other. Apo means away from. Clatter is intensive and alatho is to change. So shall we look at those because they belong particularly to our peace and to our calling. Ephesians 2.16 Let's see what is involved. Who are being reconciled? What is the alienation that is now in view? Suppose that we look at verse 11, Ephesians 2. Wherefore remember, that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. Well now that's not a thing for which we are responsible. You and I are not responsible that you were born in England. So here's an alienation that we're going to read about, which has nothing whatever to do with our own personal act but with regard to the fact that we are Gentiles and not Jews. Keep that in mind. Wherefore remember that ye being in time, time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ. The Gentile had no hope of a Messiah, like the people of Israel. They were without a Messiah. They had no one to look forward to in hope. They were in that predicament. Being aliens from the commonwealth or citizenship of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Although so many of God's people today take the covenants of promise that belong to the people of Israel, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and say they all belong to the church, this man writing, well on the way with regard to his teaching, says, oh no, as Gentiles, you were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. You have no hope if you have no promise. You have no hope if you have no Christ. Having no hope and without God in the world. Now that puts us in a tremendous position, doesn't it? Then notice that now. If you look at chapter 2, verse 4, you'll see, but God. 
And these things are worth balancing. In the first opening verses of chapter 2, it is uh, the fact that you once walked according to the course of this world, you were children of disobedience, and you were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and you were by nature children of wrath even as others. That's sin, but God intervened. Now he says, not only were you like that, but you were also Gentiles. But now, God has made another intrusion. But now, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes not really were sinful, but were far off, because you were Gentiles, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. When Paul wrote the Colossians, he says, we have peace through the blood of his cross. Here he puts it the other way round. We are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. Now then, what is this peace and what is it bringing about? What is the alienation? What is the enmity that is involved when you have reconciliation? Well, it's not to do with their sinfulness. It was to do with the fact that up till this moment, they had no access into the presence of God on the same ground and the same footing as the people of Israel. For he is our peace, who hath made not really both, but the both, one, the both that he's been speaking about. The Gentile and the Jew are no longer in opposition, no longer as strangers to one another. They are made, the both are now one. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, which would be well known in Paul's day, and which we know refers to the prohibition that was engraved in stone on the walls of the temple, that no one being a foreigner was allowed to pass beyond that barrier under the threat of death. That's God. And having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so it's nothing to do with sins. It's this fact that changing the customs, Laws that once were operative are now set aside. Ordinances that once had to be obeyed no longer intrude. For to create, not merely to make, for to create it himself of the twain. So he's still speaking about making one new man of the two companies. So you see, it's so wise for us to remember that reconciliation in chapter 2 of Ephesians is not to do with the reconciliation of a sinner as such, but the reconciliation of a Gentile as such. And in Colossians, it's the reconciliation of a sinner. So both sides are catered for in the wondrous work of grace of Christ. So I must finish this. Uh, for, yes, uh, for to create in himself of the twain, do put the article in there each time, the twain, one new man, so making peace. Well, that's a new kind of peace. That's not peace with God, that's peace between the conflicting sections. And that he might reconcile thee both unto God in one body. So here's the church of the one body, where the Jew loses his Jewishness, and the Gentile loses his Gentileness, and they find they are both new creatures in Christ, and one 
body fellow members. And that it might reconcile the both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace. He was the one who came and preached peace to you that were afar off and to them that were nigh. What is reconciliation? Here it is. For through him, we, the both, have access. That's reconciliation. Here's the veil of the temple rent. Here is a way into the very presence of God. For through him we the both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you know more strangers and foreigners. You see, we're not dealing with sin, are we? We're dealing with the fact that you were Gentiles. You're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And so we have this tremendous emphasis in connection with the prison ministry of the Apostle Paul. Well now, the Apostle was the Apostle of the Reconciliation. No other Apostle in the New Testament uses the expression. He was the one who brought reconciliation prominently to bring the sinner into into contact, saving contact with God, and bring the Gentile into relationship with the Jew in making this one new man. So you see, we've just got on this little chart you have in front of you that Paul is the apostle of the reconciliation. Before Acts 28, the reconciliation is to do with Adam and the sin that has passed down and involved us all. In Romans, it has to do with the Gentiles, reconciliation. And in 2 Corinthians 5, which we've looked at. I think perhaps we'll glimpse at Romans, the 11th chapter, just to include that one passage as our time is running out. Romans, the 11th chapter, verse 15. He's speaking about the people of Israel here and their apostasy, their failure. And he says, if the casting away of them, that's Israel, if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead. So you and I must be very, very, very interested in the fact that God is going to bring this ancient people of his back to himself. For he says, if the benefits ever come to you by their being cast away, what must you expect when they are taken back into God's favour? And then we have the thoughts summed up at the bottom just to make the thing complete. There's a reconciliation of the principalities and powers. Will you flip to Colossians chapter 1? He says chapter 1.16 For by him were all things created that are in heaven that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones 
or dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And then we have, in verse 20, reconciling all things unto himself. And it goes on to say, whether they be things in earth, or things in heaven. So the principalities and powers, some of them were antagonistic to the church, as you see in the second chapter, some are looking and wondering, as it says, into which these spiritual powers desire to look into. At the bottom, I've given you just a summary, which you may be able to pursue yourself. That is to say, reconciliation is racial. That has to do with the whole human race because they, they were at enmity through sin by their first fall in Adam. It is national. That is to say between the Jew who was near to God nationally and the Gentile who was far off. And it is personal. That is to say you who were once darkness are now light in the Lord. Oh, what a change. And we don't use the word ecclesial today. I thought I'd invented the word, but I discovered it was an old English word. Ecclesial has to do with the church and positional has to do with our standing in Christ. Now the, Lord, the last um, thought that I want to leave is this. God has done all that's necessary. Peace has been made at such a price, the blood of his cross. And he says to you and to me, be ye reconciled to God. Well, if you're not reconciled to God, if you don't feel like it, whose fault is it, friends? Won't you even put out your hand and receive this gift of God, which has been bought with such a price? He has gone to the very extreme of beseeching you, be ye reconciled to God. And he's not asking you to pay a single penny towards the price. It's paid for. He hath redeemed us. He hath made us nigh. He now calls us to draw nigh and remember that we have access into his very presence. The middle wall of partition's gone. All the enmity that once existed is broken down. Oh, what a change. What a marvellous change. May that change be more and more exhibited and enjoyed by every one of us as a consequence of facing this wonderful word, a lasso, catalasso, catalasso, all meaning the change that God has wrought.